Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. And good evening and happy President's Day. I'm Clarence Boone and welcome to this edition of Bring It On. We're a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 14 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening. I'm Roberta Radovich, and in today's broadcast, you'll hear what events are going on locally and what's relevant in the African American world of news, all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, we lead off with a quote. Leadership is the art of creating opportunities. The ultimate goal of the servant leader is to heal and to make whole. This was the goal of servant leaders such as Mohandas Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., and Nelson Mandela, along with countless individuals and communities around the world. As you can probably tell, servant leadership is not for the faint of heart. It is a demanding course of action, which takes discipline and responsiveness. But without this special kind of leadership, the great advances of humanity would never have taken place. Too often, people have settled for less, and the world is lesser for it. The quote is attributed to tonight's returning bringing on guest, Dr. Charlie Nelms, who was hailed as a transformational servant leader a motivational speaker, and a consultant with expertise in higher education. He is the former chancellor of universities in North Carolina, Indiana, and Michigan. He has more than 40 years of experience and leadership in student access, retention and persistence, institutional effectiveness, and strategic planning. Charlie Nelm serves as a board member for leading educational associations and foundations across the United States. He's currently a senior, a senior scholar at the American Association of State Colleges and Universities, providing leadership in assisting minority-serving institutions. Dr. Nelms joins us in the studio this evening to discuss a wide array of issues in higher education, and we, have, we hope to gather his personal thoughts on the effectiveness or lack of effectiveness of Betsy DeVos, the United States Secretary of Education. As always, Dr. Nelms, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so very much. It's delighted to be here and to join two of my all-time favorite people. Uh, not only in Bloomington, um, but around the country. So oh. thank you so much for inviting me, especially oh. during Black History Month. Yes. Well, thank you, sir, for consenting. You have one of the world's most busiest scheduled for an individual who consults around the country and is active, has traveled overseas to try to improve the lot in the lives of so many people. Um, that, that quote resonates with me. And you drew upon some some real thought leaders, uh, Mohandas uh, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., and Nelson Mandela, of course, have left their mark in the world. And you, sir, are truly leaving your mark in the world. One thing I will mention, get this out of the way right away, he is the author of several books. You won't believe this, but Roberta carries one of his books in her purse <laughs> and refers to it on a daily basis. Um, we'll get to that title in a second because I was, I was blown out of my seat when she told me, but 
There is a book that he has written, From Cotton Fields to University Leadership, All Eyes on Charlie, a memoir. And, and that is forthcoming. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful look back at his uh, journeys in life. It states that he had an audacious big dream. And uh, many people may not know, but we may ask you to comment on this, that you grew up in the Deep South in the 50s and 60s. And we'll save that for just a moment. The other book is Having My Say, Reflections of a Black Baby Boomer. And from a national leader in higher education, diversity and equity comes a timely collection of compelling reflections on giving, leading, changing, and advancing. And Roberta, I'll yield to you for the third book that you carry around every day. Uh, this is vintage here, folks. You can't get this. <laughs> and she ain't, and she ain't giving. <laughs> and it I'm up. not giving it up either. But you can <clears throat> contact us at <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook if you want some quotes. Start where you find yourself. That's right. Lessons uh, uh, of thought, lessons and learned lessons. Um, lessons taught and lessons learned. All right. So basically, a short compilation of the things, the, the, the guidance that Charlie's received from other people and then Charlie's gift to others coming up behind him. I'm so proud to receive that book from the author uh, years ago, and uh, he penned a note in there for me, and I have my copy. I don't carry it every day, but it is within easy reach and home. <laughs> uh, Dr. Delves, uh, uh, Roberta, I can go back and forth, but welcome. Thank you for joining us. Wow, lots going on, um, and, and with all the commotion with this national emergency that we are now under, and I guess we have curfews now across America. Almost. Uh, I may be an air raid uh, warden, I don't know, but if you could share with us during all this and through all this, higher education seemingly has gotten lost. Mm -hmm. And let's start with some observations uh, that you have, and we'll get back to your your beginnings, your powerful beginnings, and, and where you have now found yourself in life, but your thought on what's going on with all yeah. this uh, confusion. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, I think we need to be careful not to get caught up in the distractions, mm -hmm. because they are designed, these, many of these issues are the di designed to distract us. That's right. Okay, from the serious uh, ongoing issues that confront us as a nation and as a world. And so we have to be very careful not to be uh, get caught up in the distraction. So that's the first thing that I really I do want to say. And I know that um, we citizens uh, in this country and around the world, we know better, okay? Uh, but too often we just like the sound bite stuff, right. okay? And if you just stop and think just for a minute, you say, well, can this really be true? Just because people read it on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or Snapchat doesn't make it um, uh, accurate or right or appropriate. And so I think that people have to resort to thinking right. as opposed to just uh, responding from an emotional uh, basis. And so and education ought to teach us to do that, okay, is to think critically and analytically uh, and to take... Uh, Everything with a certain level of, um, of uh, curiosity on the one hand, uh, suspicion on the one hand, I suppose, um, um, but more importantly, less so suspicion, uh, but really to sort of um, present ideas for a kind of examination as opposed to just swallowing everything that we hear as though it's the truth. And you'd be amazed, and perhaps you would not, 
be amazed at the number of people who think it's accurate just because they read it in a particular newspaper or heard it on a particular talk show and that kind of thing. So I would say we have to be careful not to get caught up in the distractions. The second thing is, is not to see ourselves as being powerless. Okay. We are very, you know, the vote is power. Right. Okay. And that's why people are spending so much time trying to suppress the vote. That's right. Okay. It's because of the power of the individual. And just think about the power of us collectively uh, if we were to vote uh, 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 for not only for people, but people who advocate and support a particular set of perspectives that enhance the quality of life for all Americans. And so we're not, we're not, we're not powerless. And, uh, but some of this stuff is designed to convince us that really other people know better about us. I don't know who said it, I, but they said, if you're not at the table, you're on the agenda, you're on the menu, mm-hmm. okay? And, um, uh, and then the third thing that I want to say is, is that um, I'm not going to let anyone steal my joy. That's right. Okay? And that's the third thing. We have to be careful not to let anyone steal our joy. And we let them steal our joy when we give in, Okay? Uh, to the um, to the um, to the negative negativism, and that and that's easy to do. It, it's also easy to sit mindlessly from one program to the next without turn, turning the channel, and really being spoon fed the same information over and over and over again. I mean, but depending on your political persuasion, there's a channel for you. And studies have shown that we tend to listen to those stations that really feed us with the things that we already. Sure adhere to mm-hmm. so uh, that, that's that's real good advice and to do your own research sure. I mean there are countless sources out there sure. the thing that uh, struck me that that has sucked out all the air in the room such that legislation's not occurring or at least we're not hearing about it and there are problems mm-hmm. in America and, and several uh, pertain to higher education sure. and those things aren't being addressed sure. and as you go around the country especially uh, historically black colleges and universities that we refer to as HBCUs, what are some of the the things that you hear are the most challenging, pressing issues uh, confronting those institutions? You know, uh, Clarence, college affordability is a big issue in all of higher education, Mm -hmm. but especially for low-wealth people. uh, And I don't call them poor people. I say low-wealth people. Uh, people who have been historically disenfranchised, or people who don't enjoy the quality of life that many of us enjoy. And so the cost of higher education has just skyrocketed. The level of college indebtedness is about uh, $1.5 trillion now. Um, when I was uh, chancellor of a, of a school in North Carolina, the l- average level of indebtedness of a graduate was about $22,000. The average level of uh, uh, average income for family of four was about twenty-seven thousand. Okay, um, so the cost of higher education keeps going up, up, up. Okay, loan indebtedness, and so if you look at nationally, one and a half trillion dollars, and there has been some reporting in recent days, really, about how the uh, loan servicing companies. Okay have not, uh, have not uh, behaved in, man- in a manner consistent with their contractual obligations, okay? 
Uh, so the big bubble that I think is just waiting to burst has to do with default rates. Right. And uh, so if you graduate college, if you attend college, leave college without a degree, and you're not able to obtain a job that will pay you a wage that mm-hmm. will enable you to repay your loan, uh, then you're going to be saddled with, uh, with the situation for a long time, the inability to buy a house, the ability to just provide some of the basics for yourself, and for uh, those that you love. And so the cost is a really big issue. Retention and graduation is a big issue uh, for all students, but especially for first gen- many first-generation students who come to college uh, with a high expectation of themselves, but our colleges and universities aren't providing enough support that students need. Um, and so that is, uh, that is another issue. And then, of course, we have some faculty members who don't necessarily possess the level of cultural competence that they need in order to be able to provide uh, uh, instruction and mentorship for students. And that's not to blame faculty members. There are many faculty members who are exceptionally good at teaching, mentoring, counseling, supporting, advising, and that kind of thing. So I don't by any means wish to uh, put everyone in the same camp. And I'm not uh, here to suggest that those are issues that are are um, exclusive to historically black colleges and universities, but because those institutions serve a disproportionate number of first-generation students who are black and brown, uh, then that is uh, an issue there. Uh, And then finally, uh, making sure that the curriculum is responsive uh, to the interests of the students on the one hand and the needs of society on the other. And I'm not talking just about corporate America. I'm talking about the not-for-profit sector as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so those are among the issues. Those aren't the only issues, but those are certainly ones that rise to the top of the list as I travel around the country and based on my experience in the academy. As a chancellor of a historically black college, um, one of the things I knew you were always confronting was trying to keep the institution financially solvent or financially stable. Mm -hmm. And I just uh, heard that Bennett College just recently was able to come out from the the threat of insolvency uh, by coming through with an $8.5 million uh, gift of some kind to keep them afloat. And and they're not immune to this this situation. And um, so going to corporate America or going to alumni or going to um, foundations to help keep that institution afloat, is that something that you could comment on? Of course. You know, I mean, philanthropy is a growing, um, there's a growing dependence on philanthropy, okay, uh, all over this country, but especially in higher education. But one of the interesting things about philanthropy is, is that wealthy people tend to give to wealthy institutions. They tend not to be as as receptive to giving to low wealth institutions as they are to others, and um, there was um, there is a philanthropist who gave 1.8 billion dollars to his alma mater, um, um, and his alma mater is I think one of the top recipients of research and grants uh, from the federal government, the various agencies, and that kind of thing. So that I, I read the article just before coming in about Bennett an update to that article. They had this campaign called, I Stand with Bennett. And so uh, my wife, Jeanette, and I stood with Bennett, and so we were contributors to that campaign. 
they raised the amount of money now is in excess of nine million dollars. Okay. Okay. And so while nine million dollars is a lot of money, mm-hmm. okay, the overall scheme of things is not a very large amount of money. Okay. When you think about what's needed. And sustainability order, yeah, over time. To sustain institutions right. over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And to have the resources needed for scholarships, right. for international study, for service learning initiatives, to pay faculty members that you wish to attract and to retain. Uh, so I'm happy to see Bennett get out of, uh, you know, out of this uh, immediate situation. And as I understand it, the accrediting agency will be making a decision in about a week. Mm-hmm. They made their presentation to the Southern Association uh, of colleges and schools this morning, and they will get a decision. And I fully anticipate, I would be shocked if SAC said no to the reaffirmation of their accreditation. But the question is, what about all of those other institutions right. are in similar right. situations? Right. And of course, the greatest investors, I think, potentially, are people who benefited from the quality of education provided by the institutions. But also, I think uh, corporate America has a responsibility, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Government has a responsibility. So it's not just the alumni. It's all of those entities that are the beneficiaries of the talent produced by historically black colleges. Right. Right. The historically black colleges and universities shouldn't... I think the time has come to not see them as... um, an alternative in the in the in the historical legacy sense of it being the only option but as a competitor <laughs> in the marketplace mm-hmm. if you have um, promising and college ready students um, I would love to be able to see that HBCUs sure. in the future are competitors like sure. the students and their families are making decisions sure. whether or not to go to sure. Yale yes. or yeah go to North Carolina Central. I I hope that students will make decisions, and I think most students do, whether it's a historically black college, Hispanic serving, uh, uh, Native American institution, or PWI. Mm -hmm. I hope that people make decisions on the basis of uh, the ability of the institution to respond to their interests and their needs. That really ought to be the driver. Mm. But we know that um, that first generation students aren't served as well by certain kinds of institutions as they are by others. Okay, and so I think that PWIs and other wealthy, many wealthy institutions can learn enormously from you know institutions that serve large numbers of low income, first generation, low wealth students. Absolutely. But they have to get over there, <laughs> the arrogance. Okay, and say what can we learn? From, what can we learn from Spelman and Morehouse and Howard and Dillard and Xavier, Central mm-hmm. State, Wilberforce? What mm-hmm. can we learn from these institutions that mm-hmm. will enable us, as mm-hmm. majority institutions, wealthy institutions, to be more responsive to the students? See, it's mm-hmm. not enough just to recruit students to institutions. We have to make sure that they are affirmed as human beings of worth. Uh, and that we focus on their assets as opposed to their liabilities that they come with by way of prior preparation. And then, too, if possible, uh, we should help them offer our high degree programs, PhD programs, and the like. Um, your institution, while while you were there, you um, led them down that path to offering PhD programs. And I think uh, hadn't you, you did a phenomenal list of things there. But can you talk about that process? Sure. Well, you know, at the end of the day, um, 
students enroll at institutions not because it's an HBCU or PWI or whatever, but again, mm -hmm. as I said earlier, the responsiveness of the institution in meeting their needs, okay? And I'm just unwilling to uh, accept the notion that PWIs are better inherently mm -hmm. than other kinds of institutions. We have some very talented faculty members of all ethnicities and genders at HBCUs. And uh, so the place where I had the privilege of serving as chancellor the last time uh, was an institution with a large STEM kind of initiative. Uh, Julius Chambers, who was the, uh, uh, the uh, executive director of the uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund and a graduate of uh, North Carolina, University of North Carolina Law School, was chancellor there. So they started the Julius Chambers Biomedical Bio uh, uh, Research Institute. Um, have then we have the Bright, the pharmaceutical program, offering bachelor's and master's degrees. So we took the strength of all of our sciences and created a PhD in biotechnology, okay? And it's located, our school was located within the Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. So there are wonderful partners to work right. with in the pharmaceutical, the information sciences area, and that kind of thing. And interestingly enough, um, at least 50% or more of the students in the program were non-ethnic minorities, okay? So if you build a good program, people are gonna They're come. Gonna come. They're gonna, They're gonna, gonna, gonna come, come because it's a good program, right. not because, same is true with the law school. With law school, I still have a law school there, and I would say a good half of the students who attended the law school were non-African Americans. Why? Because it was a good public service law kind of program, had a day program, an evening program, and that kind of thing, and so, Quality programs are things that, that, that attract people. And so that's what we were seeking to do at North Carolina. That's what they're still seeking to do. And collaborating with other institutions is very much a piece of that. You don't have to try to do everything by yourself. Right. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, collaboration is easier to talk about than to actually <laughs> get people to, to do. To execute. <laughs> but we ought to have it as a goal no matter, exactly. no matter right. how reluctant some people may be. Right. Can we can we move you into a st still higher education adjacent? But your thoughts on um, you tweeted recently um, uh, hashtag Black History Month. It's not just for hashtag African Americans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it's for everyone. And the more we know about each other across racial, cultural, and gender and class boundaries, the stronger we are collectively. Can you talk about that in the moments that we kind of find ourselves? Oh my goodness! I wish I wish that some of our sitting politicians and servant leaders in the public sector would read that, okay, and really heed it. Um, uh, you know, we've we've come to a place in this country where we celebrate under the guise of diversity every holiday for different groups. And, I, and I'm not arguing those celebrations should not exist. Mm -hmm. But we've come to see them as being for the other. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so we celebrate uh, women's history, but it's for women. Right. We celebrate black history, Hispanic, LGBTQ. So we have all of these things for the other. Right. Okay. And so I think it's, uh, uh, we have too many people who are not taking advantage of the opportunities to learn. Uh, last night, I was at this phenomenal concert 
phenomenal concert uh, uh, where uh, a professor of music here, um, uh, Professor Simpson in the IU School of Music, Marietta. Professor mm -hmm. Marietta Simpson yep. uh, in the School of Music, and Tyrone's uh, Cooper, uh, Cooper. Cooper. Mm -hmm. uh, and a band did a phenomenal job, full house, okay? Um, good cross-section of people and that kind of thing. So I think what we have to do is not to wait until February to right. have the celebration. We need to have this celebration, these learning experiences every day, okay? But I do give a lot of credit to lots of people here for wanting to, to really highlight accomplishments and the culture of different groups. Well, and We just need to do more of it. And so, Charlie, you're not just an expert in higher education. And for our listeners, we're talking with Charlie Nelms um, today, kind of getting his perspective and thoughts on um, where we are, the relevancy of Black History Month. It seems like we ask that question of you every single sure. year. Is Black History Month relevant again this year in 2019? Yeah. <laughs> um, and getting Charlie's thoughts on yeah. that. And so you're not just a higher ed leader, um, but you're also a leader in the conversations about cultivating leaders. So can you share a little bit with us about, for those, I know that your perspective is there isn't a singular leader, but you should lead from where you are. And, and maybe in, as you respond to that, include also how you mentor all these mentees yes. that you've had over the years. The one sitting to my left here, oh, Roberta. And the other uh, one, yes, is, the other guy. And, right and I have, have been a mentee. Um, and I think, you know, you, you, you've exercised both uh, uh, wisdom, assessing our strengths, weaknesses, making the nest uncomfortable for us. Uh, I think Roberto was in the doghouse. But uh, anyway, how do you mentor yeah. Yeah. Your, your mentees? Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm not sure I've done all that much. But, um, but I've been, I've been the beneficiary of enormous uh, uh, mentorship and support by all kinds of people, people who look like me, you've heard me say this before, and people who didn't look like me. And so the fact that I managed to be able to come to Indiana University 50 years ago to go to school, it was because of mentorship. Right. You know, a mentor in Arkansas and a mentor here at Indiana University. So I guess I would say this, is being accessible, mm -hmm. being authentic, and being as as um, as um, candid as you can pro possibly be right. by telling people or saying to people what they need to hear, whether they want to hear it or not, or whether they heed it or not, right. and to do so in a respectful kind of way. And so that's what people did for me, and that's what I've sought to do with people that I've had the privilege of being a little part in their lives. If I can give an example, mm -hmm. when I worked with Dr. Nelms, um, we were in a, a area of campus um, um, life or, or university life that, that needed a lot of help real quick. And so he, he amassed a team of people um, from all disciplines that worked with him. And he assessed me, and, and I tend to come up with a lot of ideas but sometimes implementing or executing, mm -hmm. you need to, you know. Mm -hmm. So he sat me down, um, and he said, Clarence, here's something that I do. And he took a sheet of paper, and he put the central idea in the center. But then he began to draw arrows away and draw circles of these things that complement this bigger goal. Mm. 
and it's, it's like a brain map, I think is, is what he referred to it as. And yeah. I have used that um, because my mind gets flooded with ideas, and if I don't write it down, mm-hmm. they're gone, and I'm frustrated. Sure. So I have taken that page. And, uh, of course, Roberta, she carries your book around every day. <laughs> well, I don't know what's in that book. But, it is. <laughs> but anyway, but you, you mentioned the book, though. So, so this whole notion of mind mapping. Yeah. Okay. And so what we really have to do is to take the big idea and break it down into right. some component parts where it becomes a much more manageable right. and achievable. Right. You know, that's right. the big thing because a lot of people have big ideas that mm-hmm. never go anyplace, mm-hmm. okay? And so I just say, I, this is how I say it, you know. Um, you can easily go from having a vision to a nightmare if you don't do something with that's right. <laughs> what you have right. there, okay? And so um, uh, you have to work it, and uh, you have to have what, I heard on a on a national public radio many many years ago a blind person talking about serving as a as a photographer, okay, uh, near the mm. subway in Washington D.C. and he talked about how people would try to cheat him by giving him um, uh, a five dollar bill and pretending that it was a twenty, okay, and he said, you just have to have stickability. Stickability. You gotta have stickability. Okay. Okay. You can't. You can't let that sort of throw you off course. Okay. And um, so what we have to do then is to be, to be focused, mm-hmm. to be persistent. Okay. And to be our own best positive critic. See, I don't need to be my worst critic in terms of negativism. Okay. I need to be a positive critic of myself. Because when you are a positive critic for yourself and for actions of other, others, that's the basis of the ground, I think, for improvement. Okay? But if I just beat up on you and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, mm-hmm. you say, you know, you did a wonderful job here, okay? but there's this other piece over here. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try. I talk to myself. I have conversations with myself. Okay? And uh, yes, I answer myself, too. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that uh, if it's directed toward right, uh, right. an outcome that mm-hmm. you want. But anyway, so Clarence. So Charlie, we've okay. had kind of a loosey-goosey conversation. <coughs> I've enjoyed just sure. not having um, I mean, we Are actually you saying that uh, this hasn't been beneficial? No, 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 no. I, I, I'm saying that it's good to pick the brain of somebody with wisdom who has a perspective, a long sense of perspective on uh you know, what we should be focusing on in Black History Month, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is a time of reflection, uh, kind of a time to take stock. And obviously, 2018 and 19 have been incredible moments of taking stock. Charlie, I just want to know, what do you, t- I mean, what do we make of this last year that mm-hmm. we have been um making sense of well the first thing we have to understand is that that this is just a moment this is this is just a moment this is not the totality (laughs) of every all of the issues that we're dealing with and for many people for many of us life continues you know and so we can't be as i said earlier distracted by it right so the most important thing is to recognize that this is a moment in time but charlie don't you see that the young people are on fire (laughs) they are on fire Fire. It might be well, the they're first. They're taking it to the streets. It might be the very first time that the young folk see what your parents saw, mm-hmm. see what you saw, and 
and not experience what your parents experienced or experience what you've experienced, but finally have kind of the wool pulled over their eyes. Or pulled off. Pulled off or pulled maybe. off. I mean, yeah. what are your thoughts about that? So, so my thought is, I think with the advent of social media, mm-hmm. is uh, so there's a positive and a negative associated with it. Okay, mm-hmm. is that social media with a lot of the stuff on social, it can be a distraction, mm-hmm. and then in some instances, it can enhance understanding. Okay, but you have to be discerning. You have to be able to make some some judgment judgments about what is accurate what is inaccurate and just not t- swallow the whole line and hook as we should say down in Arkansas but um, so I think that uh, yes there are some young people who are are um, more engaged okay more concerned and what I think we need to do is is to uh, um, end up getting more people on board. And part of the way in which we do that, I think, is to make sure for older generations, okay, uh, to be willing to engage as opposed to dismiss, okay? I was happy to see in this latest edition of Bloom Magazine, uh, the latest edition of Bloom Magazine here, uh, there's this uh, profile of future leaders and uh, this was probably the first time that many uh, African-American people have seen people on the front cover of a magazine who looked like them. Young That's people. Right. Okay. Like young, people. Young, young people. Young people. Right. And as I read this edition, I was just really excited uh, by the kinds of things and the passions that these young people have and that kind of thing. And uh, so I'm, I'm encouraged. And so we have to look for things to be encouraged about as opposed to things to be discouraged about because that's what the narrative is about. Yeah. It's designed to deceive and to discourage. That wasn't a right. trick question, but I yeah. think that was the word I was looking yeah. for is, are you encouraged, Charlie? You've done sure. so much yeah. work. Yeah. Well, let me say this. <sighs> you all need to put this thing in perspective. I don't think I've done so much work, but I would say to you, what I try to do is to live a life consistent with what I believe. Okay, I believe that America can be a better place. Uh, on that same track with youth, let's talk about this recent class of individuals who've been elected to Congress, OCA, and help me with the name, uh, Roberta. Oh, you've put me on the spot. Yeah, see, I, I shouldn't have asked you so quick, but anyway, OCA. Uh, she has. She has the been woman from the, the congresswoman woman yeah. from, um, from, from New, New York. York. She mm-hmm. has just been a lightning rod. Sure. And, of course, our phone's going to blow up with people texting us, telling us how to pronounce her name. But, mm-hmm. but Miss, uh, well, well, the congresswoman, um, she's got a lot of zeal and energy, but her recent comments about Amazon not landing in sure. New York uh, has been sort of a pushback. But if, if she were, I, I wonder if she has a good mentor. Sure. Is, is my, you know. my first question. She would probably wouldn't be sitting where she's sitting if she mm-hmm. did not. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if she heeds that mentor, sure. uh, that advice. Well, l- let me say this to you. So I don't know whether she has a good mentor or not, and I don't know what that mentor may have said to her. Mm-hmm. Okay, But what we have to do is to be willing to give people the space to advocate Okay, in a manner consistent with their vision and their values. Right. Okay. And just because you have a lot of older people of various ethnicities, okay, who think things are to be said and 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 pursued in a particular way, doesn't make it right. It's like young folk. Just, their just place. think about how dismissive people were of Martin Luther King. Yeah. Think about how dismissive they were 
of uh, of Malcolm X, you know, you, you just go down the sure, line, okay? Sure. Society has never been as embracing, okay, and supportive of people who had a message that was not aligned with the traditional message that we status want. Quo. So the status mm-hmm. quo, okay? Mm-hmm. And so what we're seeing with the Congresswoman from New York isn't so different than what we saw 40, 50 years ago. Like the young people down in Florida with the with the shooting at the Douglas High School, right. Yeah. Right. okay? I mean, there are people who just really beat up on those young people, okay? And call them all kinds of names, right. and just very dismissive of them, okay? But, uh, and that's because they dare challenge the status quo. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening today. There are these newly elected people, many of whom are women, who are challenging the status quo that's making Caucasian men and many older men of color uncomfortable. That's right. And what they have to do is just get with it. That's right. This is a new day. Now, we're talking about politics. And you have done something that you encouraged many on your staff to do back when the University of Michigan was considering the affirmative action court case. You said, well, write a letter as a friend of the court. Get your opinion expressed um, to those who will have the decision-making authority. You wrote to the 45th president of the United States and back, back in uh, 2017, I believe, this letter was crafted. There's a paragraph in here that I want to read and ask your uh, reflections on it to see if we've advanced. I know time is of the essence. So I'll make it very, very quick. Mr. President, as an HBCU graduate and advocate, I view your seemingly early embrace of this sector of higher education as an opportunity for you to convey to America in general and the HBCU community in particular your understanding of the role of these institutions and the role they play and continue to play in making educational opportunity a reality for countless numbers of first-generation students. And I'm going to jump down a little bit. You said, with bated breath, I waited for your first proposed budget. And you found that, that budget sorely lacking in support for these institutions. And in one of the recommendations, one of several recommendations that you made, you did say concerning education, access to excellent K-12 schools should not be a function of one's economic standing or zip code. Comment, if you will, uh, on, on just your reflections on that letter. Well, first of all, I... It would be fascinating to know whether or not anyone read it at all, okay? But whether people read it or not, I felt compelled to write it. That's right. Okay? As opposed to just sort of uh, uh, sort of going back and forth and wondering about this. Well, I said it because that's what I thought needed to be said. And so my mama always said, you know, if you think something is ought to be somebody ought to say something, don't you wait for someone else to say it. You do your part in saying it and try to say it in such a way that you don't denigrate people. And so that's what I tried to do in this letter. Mm-hmm. There are three things that I would say about the current uh, uh, administration and HBCUs. First of all, we really do now have uh, a Pell Grant that's available during the summer, which will really help tremendously with first-generation college students. Just last week, uh, Congress passed a piece of legislation for the historic preservation of buildings at historically black colleges, which is really a good thing. And then the third thing occurred uh, several months ago, and it had to do with the uh, debt forgiveness piece, okay, involving some HBCUs, most notably, I think it must have been those in the uh, in the Hurricane Katrina area, several in the New Orleans area. I think Dillard, Xavier, and Southern uh, uh, University of New Orleans. 
St. Augustine uh, University in Raleigh. So not all were in the in the um, in the hurricane zone. But anyway, so there are some positive things. I want to acknowledge those. But what we have to do as citizens is to make sure that we keep uh, the lines of communications open with our Congress congressional representatives. And we remain vigilant, yeah. especially since we have this national emergency and funds are being withdrawn from areas of the br- of the budget. Sure. Um, we have time, of course, as a lapse, sure. but we have afforded just a few extra minutes. My sure. engineer is about to throw something through the window, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Tell us, many of you, many of our listeners don't know your humble roots and where you're from and what has been imparted in you to sort of shape the person that you are now. Well, you know, I grew up in Arkansas, and uh, so Arkansas is one of what we call those deep southern, deep south states, okay? And um, so I grew up at the height of segregation in the Arkansas Delta, uh, an area defined really by poverty, uh, racism. Uh, America's apartheid, I guess, and I grew up in that apartheid era, America. And we don't think of America in the context of apartheid, because that's the era in which I grew up. Uh, but I had the good fortune of being surrounded by you know, some wonderful parents who believed in, in, in voting, education, and owning land. And uh, I, they said to us, you can be anything you want to be. And we were foolish enough to believe them, uh, courageous enough to believe them. And so 50, you know, 60, 70 years later, uh, I'm here uh, because of my parents, and uh, because of my teachers, we didn't have any counselors back then. The preach at Shallow Missionary Baptist Church and uh, the professors that I met at Arkansas, Abel in College and Bob Schaefer at Indiana, Betty Greenleaf at Indiana, uh, August Everly, Jimmy Ross. So I just met these wonderful people who invested in me. And so I don't have the option of not investing in other people because that, that's the way I have to repay those people. And I don't say that with any pride. I just say that as a kind of uh, recognition of the fact that uh, I'm a blessed Arkansan. And yeah, we're going to let that be the last words for some I've heard of Arkansas referred to as Arkansan. I'm not going to use that. Arkansan. Arkansan. I'm an Arkansan. Arkansan. Our thanks to Dr. Charlie Nelms, former chancellor of universities in North Carolina, Indiana, Michigan, and widely sought after consultant in higher academe for joining us this evening to discuss a wide array of issues in higher education and life. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on people and news and packing the African-American community. Well, my dear esteemed colleague meant to say was that Bring It On has an open submission policy. Thank so you. So if you have Thank an idea you. for this program, I guess basking in the presence of Dr. I was, Nelson, it, I was it does that every time, I was, I was absorbing okay, it. Okay, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringingon at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringingon at wfhb.org.
Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back to thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war and poverty. Oh, 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 oh. Wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new way. Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. They're the ones who's coming up and the world is in their hands. When you teach the children, teach them the very best you can. The world won't get no better if we just let it be. Na, 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 na. The world won't get no better. We gotta change it now, just you and me. Wake up all the doctors, make the old people well. They're the ones who suffer and who catch all the hell. But they don't have so very long before their judgment day. So won't you make them happy before they pass away? Wake up all the builders, time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. The only thing we have to do is put it in our minds. Surely things will work out. They do it every time. In the background, you heard the iconic song, Wake Up Everybody. And what a shout out, Wake Up Everybody, by the legendary group Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, featuring the unmistakable vocals of the late Teddy Pendergrass. This is Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? You're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to keep get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to twitter.com and search for WFHB News, or you can always visit WFHB's news website at wfhb.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Roberta Radovich. And I'm privileged to sit next to Roberta. I'm Clarence Boone. Well, uh, well, you know, we could have gone on for another 15 minutes. I mean, he's just, he's fantastic. And I think that um, his humility, his humbleness, his deep commitment to to philanthropy really like outlines what his servant leader, his own personal servant leader definition. I feel like you can really. Well, we're going to get through a couple of the stories. Um, Of course, we sort of hinted about uh, the national emergency that we are now living under. Mm. We won't dignify that any further, but we will go on to say that new evidence suggests that Jesse Smollett orchestrated 
his attack and this has been sort of trending lately and it's the unfortunate part of uh, I think as Dr. Nelms alluded to you have uh, um, certain media outlets and sources that are quick to send out messages and things get convoluted but CNN is reporting that <clears throat> two law enforcement sources with knowledge of the investigation tell CNN that Chicago police believe actor Jesse Smollett paid two men to orchestrate an assault on him that reported late last month and Smollett denies playing a role in his attack according to a statement from his attorneys. The men, who are brothers, were arrested Wednesday but released without charges Friday after Chicago police cited the discovery of new evidence. Uh, the sources told CNN that the two men are now cooperating fully with the uh, law enforcement. Smollett told authorities he was attacked early January 29th by two men who were yelling out racial and homophobic slurs. He said one attacker put a rope around his neck and poured an unknown chemical substance on him. Well, the report goes on to sort of cite the fact that after searching uh, the, uh, the uh, suspected assailant's homes, they found information or evidence that sort of hints towards something a little bit more in this story. Now, we're not here to, uh, to say uh, what has uh, transpired. We don't know. Um, time will tell, but regardless, an attack on anyone uh, for color or for sexual orientation or for whatever, religious affiliation, political persuasion, which has gone on at some campaign uh, rallies yeah. by our 45th president, and even when he was a, well, uh, a candidate, right. encouraged some of that, and there right. were some lawsuits. But anyway, any attack on another person should never be tolerated. Yeah. Um, I mean, enough said about that. Um, so this, it, it, it makes me cringe to have to read off this title to you, but West Virginia official called Michelle Obama, in quote, an ape in heels, uh, faces 30 years in prison for a FEMA fraud. Hmm. Uh, West Virginia woman who pleaded guilty earlier this week to defrauding the Federal Emergency Management Agency is the same woman who fired from a West Virginia County Development Agency three years ago after making a racist, was fired, excuse me, from a development agency company, uh, agency in West Virginia after making a racist Facebook post about then First Lady Michelle Obama. Pamela Taylor is her name, admitted that she took more than $18,000 in flood relief benefits. She falsely registered for FEMA benefits after a set of floods in June 2016 that killed more than 20 West Virginians. Taylor claimed that, it, that her primary residency had been damaged in the flood and that she was staying in a rental property. In her plea deal, Taylor agreed to pay the restitution of $18,149. She also faces up to 30 years in prison. Taylor was infam infamously uh, there's, there's suspended. There's a fine. There's there's a, oh, yeah, $500,000. Wow. So I, I'm just. <sighs> you, well, well, you know, it, it, it's people have said they use use the phrase that God don't like ugly. God don't like ugly. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to make the comment that she said that her comment was basically when Melania uh, Trump came into office. The comment was something to the extent that now we have a, a classy a classy representative as opposed to right and and that was just the start of all all efforts to erase the obama legacy mm -hmm. that are still going on uh, uh yet today um 
I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll read this last one. I hate to break the hearts of so many people, but the Medea Farewell Stage Tour has been announced. And I'll give you a moment to let that register. Yes, from the Tyler Perry website we read that the Medea Farewell Stage Tour has been announced. It was just over a month ago that Tyler Perry shocked fans of his most beloved character, Mabel Medea Simmons, by announcing that he would be ending the near 20-year run, wow, of the mouthy, gray-haired senior citizen who started it all. We should go. <sighs> Road trip. Let's set up a GoFundMe. But don't despair too much. There will be a lot of Medea on tap in 2019 for you to get your final fix. <clears throat> Perry will bring the family back together one last time for a Medea family funeral. Oh, my goodness. Which we, we've had the reunion. We've had the, the going to jail. And now here's the funeral, uh, which is set to be released in, on March 1st. The film, shot in partnership with Lionsgate, is sure to have scores of hilarious moments for fans to enjoy one last laugh with the woman who delivered so many o over the years. This final Medea film concludes a perfect set of 10 movies. Has there been 10 movies? Oh, my dear. That have starred Perry as what he describes as exactly the PG version of my mother and my aunt. We'll stop right there. It's but, a franchise. Uh, I mean, no matter yeah. no matter what you say about the Medea, is it the chitlin uh, circuit? Yeah. Is it is it art? Is it real art? Is it the everyday person's art? I don't know. No matter what you say about it, you cannot deny that it was. It's a it's its own <laughs> franchise. And scholars will be studying it for years to come. Sociologists will be studying so, it. <laughs> people will be Netflixing. <laughs> and and there will be on, on eBay, of course, whatever. Exactly. But uh, we, we would have read the last story for the day, but we'll just read the uh, headline. R. Kelly facing criminal indictment as a grand jury is assembled in Chicago. As he should be. More to come. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, today being February the 18th, we're going to combine our Black History Month calendar read during our news. See, a little novel thing we do at Bring It On. Okay. Um, and since today it's too late, to kind of start the beginning of this, but there was um, in the Monroe County Public Library Auditorium starting at six this evening, uh, there was Explore Black History Month and Virtual Reality, and that goes until 7.30, so you approximately have about a half hour after the end of the show. Uh, but Explore Black History and Culture through three virtual reality experiences, I Am a Man, The People's House, and, and Neural Speculative Afrofeminism. That's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. Okay, let's look at uh, Thursday, February 21st. That's a, that's a big one. Yeah, uh, it's the Black Knowledge Bowl at Indiana University, and the, and the theme this year is Please Don't Stop the Music. So that that's a free event. Uh, spectators open to the public are welcome to watch and cheer on the group. Also, one of the events that's open to the community that I really want to encourage is um, on Sunday, February 24th, so just this upcoming Sunday, it, at Second Baptist is the Second Baptist Church Black History Month program featuring an old friend of ours, Professor Yvette oh. uh, Alex Asenso. Yeah. And she is currently the president, the vice president for equity and inclusion at the University of Oregon. But she'll be back here in town this weekend to uh, provide the keynote speaking um, opportunity. And it's a beautiful, it's always a beautiful event. And that's open to all. You don't have to be a member of Second Baptist. And they, it's free. It's from 3 to 5 p.m. Second Baptist Church is located at 321 North Rogers Street in Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, that same Sunday, 
Um, the IU African American Dance Company performance will take place at the Monroe County Public Library Auditorium, 303 East Kirkwood Avenue here in Bloomington, from 4 to 5, and that event is fr uh, free as well. And the descriptor, exemplifying keen, vigorous expression, eloquence in class, the African American Dance Company captures and conveys the spirit of dance styles of the African diaspora, all ages. And for more info, call 812-349-3050. Again, 812-349-3050. Okay. And, and, the, and I think the engineer is saying that's it's, enough. It's enough. It's about it's a time. It's wrap. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> well, we got, we got to make sure that everybody knows that the 15th annual Black History Month Gala is on Saturday, March 2nd. And as far as I understand it, tickets, tickets are still available. And, and they're, so. they're a hot commodity, so, yep, so don't sit out, on the fence. There you go. Check out the Buzzkirk Chemley box office at 812-323-3020, 812-323-3020 if you're interested in those tickets. That was a look at African-American headline news and calendar items for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Send your comments to Bring It On at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Roberta Radovich. And our thanks uh, to Dr. Charlie Nelms, a former chancellor of universities in North Carolina, Indiana, Michigan, and Wiley sought-after consultant in higher education and uh, for joining us this evening to discuss a wide array of issues in higher education and of course we again we could have gone on and on and on but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll bring him back That's we'll bring to him do. back our show's producer is my good friend Clarence Boone with help from WFHB news director a uh, new department director Wes Martin tonight's board engineers were Taya Wilson and Chantel Lafontaine Chantal our, Lafontaine. <laughs> our original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker for WFHB I'm Roberta Radovich and I'm Clarence Boone tune in next Monday February the 25th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of bringing on right here on your community radio station WFHB You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.